over by a policeman. The policeman pulls him over and comes up to his truck and says, Do you know that here in this county, it's illegal to drive with your pig in the front seat? Who'd have known? (laughs) The farmer says, No, I didn't know that. To which the police officer says, I want you to take that pig to the zoo. Take that pig to the zoo. The farmer says, okay, I'll do it. Now we roll forward about a month later. The same farmer, the same truck, the same pig, the same policeman. The officer pulls him over and says, I thought we had this conversation already. I thought I told you to take your pig to the zoo, to which the farmer said, I did, and next week we're going to Disneyland. (laughs) I'm guessing there was some miscommunication or misunderstanding on both the farmer's part and on maybe the police officer's part. Maybe he didn't explain it quite like he should. But as we think about this morning... And I will make it a point to talk to Sid when he returns. I think he intentionally did this to me. And, uh, no, not really. It really forced me to do something I hadn't really done for a long time. And that was just to, to dig into why, why does Matthew begin his gospel Why does Matthew, uh, who is the first book in the canon of the New Testament, start off with a genealogy? Why why would you do that? And I'm going to guess that if I were to take a survey this morning and ask you all what your favorite passage in the Bible was, I'm pretty sure none of these would show up in the list. Am I right? I'm right. Instead, you're more, at, you're more likely to ask, why would Matthew begin his account of the life of Christ with a boring genealogy? Now, it's not boring if you get into it and the history. But if you just read it as you're reading another book, you're going and you're trying to pronounce the words, you're trying to pronounce the proper names, you're like, man, this is just a tremendous... Waste of time. But it's not. I want to suggest to you this morning that this text is one of the more important passages that we find in the Bible. Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17, is important because it is a thread that binds together the Old Testament and the New Testament. In fact, this text is essential to understanding the meaning of the Old Testament. One commentator called it, this text, a compressed retelling of the Old Testament story. Matthew carefully links the second part of the Bible with the first by citing at least 61 direct quotes and many other allusions from the Old Testament 
in his text. So he's building a bridge. To build a bridge, you have to have a good foundation. If you don't have a good foundation under your bridge, your bridge is probably going to collapse or fall down. Matthew also uses the phrase from the Old Testament to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets. And he did that ten times. The Gospel writer, Matthew, clearly identifies Jesus as the promised, long-awaited Messiah. The evidence presented is overwhelming. Jesus is clearly presented as the fulfillment of what the prophets of the Old Testament spoke about. One of the things I thought about as I read this, you really get a grasp of time and what time is when you think about what's happening here. It's probably been... We know from Jeremiah and Isaiah and those prophecies, it even goes back to David, that it was several hundred years had elapsed before Matthew writes this genealogy to open the New Testament and his story and his his telling of the Gospel of Matthew. 400 of those years were intertestamental, intertestamental, I'm sorry, I'm not speaking well this morning. Anyway, there's 400 years in between there where there was no prophet until the birth of Christ. So there's 400 years of dead silence. I'm 60. Believe it or not, I know I look like I'm maybe 26 or 7. But I'm 60. I can't imagine... It's hard for me to fathom that much time. Some of us are older than that. Some of us are younger than that. Most of us are probably... They say now that, the, that we could live to 125 years old. That's kind of if the longest possible time that we could be alive is about 125 years. Most of us won't make that. And it's not wise. <laughs> we talking about me? No. And uh, but to think, four hundred years of silence, eight hundred to nine hundred years of this foretelling that the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, would come. That's a long time. As Americans, last night it was really neat to listen to uh, the different stories about how Christmas is celebrated in the different countries. And, and you think about the history and the rich history and the hundreds of years of history from some of those countries. In America, we have about, well, we have 200 and... 40 or 50 years that we claim our independence, but people came to America in the 1600s. We know that. Uh, and history tells us. So we have about a 
400-year history of the landing or the, uh, those coming to America to today. I guess what I'm trying to say here is that it's amazing that for 800 years, a people were looking forward to the coming of Christ. I'm not trying to be a Debbie the Downer here, but they typically say that after about three or four generations, your family no longer remembers who you were or knew who you were. That not long from now, you'll prob- we'll prob- I will probably be just a name in a genealogy and nobody would re- will really have known who I was. But yet here is a people who have waited for eight to nine hundred years anticipating, hoping, looking for that promise. That's, that, I mean, that's amazing. There's nothing that I can promise anybody here that anybody's going to care about in a few years. But God made a promise... Our genealogy tells us, and we'll talk about that a little bit, made a promise to Abraham. And then as we read through this genealogy, that promise was passed down over 42, is that what she's 42 generations. And it was still being looked forward to. And I will say this, that even today there are people who are still looking for that. I'm pretty sure I'm not going to promise you anything that generations from now are going to be looking for. So that's amazing. It's amazing if you think about it and just don't brush through what's happened and what is happening here. The book of Matthew opens, as we've said already, with the genealogy of a king. Every king has to have a royal lineage. I just don't walk out there and say, hey, I'm a king. And somebody goes, what makes you a king? Or like my dad used to tell me, because I said so. (laughs) Nobody's going to pay any attention to that. Nobody's going to listen to that. Nobody's going to put any much thought into that other than he must be a quack, a crazy guy. But here we know that kings, and we see it in other countries who have kings, We see it in England and and in many other countries where there are kings and queens and leaders. And they are part of a royal lineage. So what Matthew is doing here isn't surprising, really. It isn't, I would hope not, boring. Kings have to be in a regal line in order to qualify for the throne. And Matthew begins with a family tree that traces the right of Jesus to be king. These opening verses are very important because Jewish people, the majority of who made up Matthew's audience, were very interested in a person's genealogy. 
The New Testament rests upon the accuracy of this genealogy because it establishes the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is of the line of Abraham and of the line of David. For the line of Abraham places him in the nation, the Hebrew nation. And then the line of David places him on the throne. We'll talk about that in a minute. He is in that royal line. Why did Matthew write genealogy or begin his book with genealogy? He had to establish and wanted to establish the idea that Jesus as the Messiah was of this royal bloodline, was of the line of Abraham and of David. That he was the rightful king. That he was the rightful Messiah. He was of that lineage. So that's what connects the Old Testament and the idea of prophecy and foretelling of the coming Messiah. And, and the Scriptures, we are probably jumping in our mind now when we think about what was said. When David was told that his line, the Messiah, would come from him. Abraham was told that his people would be a blessed people and that he would be a great nation and all of those things. Those jump into our minds, I think, when we think about this. The genealogies were very important to Israel. Through them they could establish whether a person had a legitimate claim to a particular line. We remember the twelve tribes of Israel. The Levites, who were the priestly tribe. And after the captivity, and they came back in order to be a part of temple worship and be involved in that, they had to prove their lineage as being Levites and of the Levitical priestly tribe before they could do that. So to the Israelites, this was, it was, and to the Hebrew, to the Jewish people, this was very, very important. I sort of feel like I'm a teacher and not necessarily a preacher to begin with this morning. Hopefully they'll, we'll figure that all out. But I kind of wanted to get all that in front of you because for me, it's been very enlightening. I'm like you. You get back in the Old Testament too in Genesis and we start to read the genealogies and we kind of wonder about all that stuff. And it's very monotonous maybe reading, but it's a purpose and there's a reason for it to be there, and I want us to—I want us to catch that. Matthew is very in purposeful in his genealogy, as was mentioned this morning. One third, two thirds, the last section. The genealogy is broken up into fourteen generations, three separate fourteen p fourteen generations. Okay, so the first section, Abraham. And up to David. And then the next is from David uh, through the captivity. So, and then, and then so on and so forth. But it's done in such a way because they lived in an, in an oral society. And it was easy to memorize things that were in a, some sort of an order. 
So by knowing that there were 14 generations, then 14 generations, then 14 generations, it made it easier for the reader and for the people prior to this to be able to memorize and know. One quick other point to mention is the number 14. The number 14 in, had to do with David's name. In the Hebrew language, there were no vowels. Okay? You take the vowels out of David's name, and each consonant had a numerical value placed to it. So the name David equaled 14. Therefore, another way of Matthew showing that Christ uh, was of that line and that David was of that line. So the peop- it might kind of sound strange to us or a little different to us, but it would have been very understandable to the readers of Matthew's Gospel in the beginning. The first sentence of Matthew's Gospel introduces not only the genealogy, of, uh, but the entire Gospel. So when we read that first sentence as it was read this morning, it said, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is the story of Jesus, His right to rule, His lineage, His kingly lineage. So Matthew was answering right off the bat, who is this Jesus? And then he goes through the genealogy. He goes through the list all the way back to Abraham. I'm not going to read it again because it was done very well the first time and I will butcher it up. But, the genealogy um, that was read is given by Matthew to prove the validity of what Matthew claims in his first sentence. That what is the book about? Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Well, here he is. He's from the lineage of Abraham and David and all of those in between. Now let me tell you what he did. Now let me tell you how he's a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. Now let me tell you and the miracles that he performed to prove that he was Jesus, that he was the Son of God, that he is the Messiah. And so, in, in this, I want to share three things. And it seems like I've been up here already for a long time and you're thinking, man, I'm getting hungry. But I want to share just three quick thoughts. Every preacher has to have three points. And we may end in a song. I know we took one out. 173, Joy to the World, just so you're ready. Okay. So, but in, I, want us, uh, I want us to see three things. And it's very difficult, obviously, when it's begat, begat, begat. This person, this person, this person. Where do we pull? What do we pull? How do we pull points out of it? First of all, we're in Advent. Okay, We're looking forward 
and celebrating the looking forward to His coming. His coming. His birth. So, with that, I said, I want us to look at the coming promised, the coming foretold or prophesied, and the coming as a reality, proclaimed. The account of Abraham in Genesis marks the end of the theogony of the Hebrew of God, the Hebrew God. Now, I'm not going to get deep into what all that means. Only that, prior to Abraham, God was just in a mix with a bunch of other gods that were worshipped in the known world at the time. He was part of uh, this pantheon. The Greeks had theirs and everyone had theirs. But as we place this in history, we know that there were other people prior to Abraham. Abraham was at the very beginning of what we know. So at this point, um, at the point of Abraham, God was just another God, or the Hebrew God was just another God in the midst of all of the other gods that were worshipped in the known world at that time. If you want to read more about that, you can look it up and... and uh, it's great bedside reading. Um, but the account of Abraham in Genesis marks the end of the theogony of the Hebrew God and the beginning of Hebrew history. So Abraham is the beginning of Hebrew history. So as a people, it is at this point. So that's why Abraham... Uh, is, is at the beginning of this genealogy. What happens in Abraham's life? Well, we know that Abraham, God called him out of the ear of the Chaldees, said to go to a country that he will give him. And we call that um, the Abrahamic covenant. A covenant between God and Abraham. Okay? What's interesting about that covenant is that it was an unconditional covenant. Okay? Abraham didn't have to do anything for God to bless him. God chose to bless him. Many times in covenants or in legal um, apparatuses, both parties have to be responsible and doing something. You know, if I, we enter into a legal agreement that I am going to pay you a certain amount of money for a house. Their side of it is they're giving me the money or they're loaning me the money or they're allowing me to pay them in payments. My side of the covenant, covenant is that I have to make the payments. So, but in this covenant between God and Abraham, it, God just says, Abraham, I will give you a land. Just go get it. He also says, Abraham, I will, you will be a people. At this point, Abraham has no kids. But God says, you will be a people. So he begins, this is the beginning of the Hebrew nation. And then finally, I will bless all people through you. So it's that covenant, that's, that's that part of the covenant that says, that eventually, 
becomes defined as the Messiah who will come and save the world and forgive people of sin and redeem the world. So the beginning of this genealogy um, is the coming promised. And in that covenant, we have that unconditional covenant, the promise of land, descendants, and redemption. The first 14 generations were from the patriarchs to the kings. To kings. <clears throat> How many of you know what Ancestry.com is? We all see the commercial, don't we? And not till I went there did I find out it's going to cost me. So, but I've got good news. There is another site. I have a friend who is, whose mother, he lives in Salt Lake City. He's Mormon. His mother works for that. It's called FamilySearch.org. It's a free version of Ancestry.org. So once I've, he told me about that because he said his mother, you know, copies papers and does all that stuff for that. And so I went there thinking, I'm going to find out where I came from. There's a little more work to it than that. I mean, you have to, you know, you have to spend some time and develop it. But it's really kind of neat. I found out some things I probably didn't want to know. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and some other things as well. I was able to look at my mother's mother's family. Um, my grandmother passed when I was very young, but I was able to take that clear back to Germany in the 1600s. Somebody had already done some of that work. A lot of times, other family members get in and they, they put stuff into it and you can kind of trace it. I also saw that on my mother's father's side, he was Native American and he wasn't a nice guy. And uh, he like killed guys for their women and took them as his own wives. And so I have this mixed up heritage, which I, I you know, hey, it is what it is. Um, that's when we can really say God is a God of grace. But um, anyway, Ancestry.com. It's important that we know where we came from, I think, and that we know somewhat about, about our past. That's what we did last night when we talked about Christmas and how we celebrate Christmas. I probably got a little bit off off the line there a little bit. But I, I think what I want to finish that point with is trust God because He kept His promise to the man Abraham. That's why we're celebrating Christmas. That's what we look forward to Christmas for because God kept His promise to Abraham. Not only did He keep His promise to Abraham, but if we go move on to the next section, the next point the coming prophesied or foretold. It's interesting that there seemed to have been a period, and it's not as strong as it once was, but there was a time when people would want to say that if science hasn't proved it, it really hasn't happened. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, if we found no evidence, archaeological evidence, of these people in the Bible, then probably they didn't exist. Somebody made them up. And there, there are groups of people who make that their... They like to spend a lot of time trying to disprove the Bible. 
and using science to do that. Interestingly, they got it all backwards because science came from, not was because of. So anyway, um, there's a lot of archaeology. There is some archaeology out there now that is connecting uh, to David and his kingdom. And it's interesting, not that it proves to me when I read it that the Bible's true. I already knew it was true. But it's interesting that, that, that there is that, that kind of a encouragement or collaboration that can happen. If they never found it, it wouldn't change the way I feel about it. But they have found it, so it's, it's interesting. And it's interesting reading. I'm a history crazy guy. Anyway, so... I, I, I like that, and so. Um, but we will. But but as as we think about David and 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 the prophecy and the foretelling of 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 the Messiah, there is also a Davidic covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham. He also made a covenant with David, and we find that over in Second Samuel chapter seven. That conversation. The promise of the Messiah from his lineage and from the tribe of Judah. God made a covenant, a promise to David that the Messiah would come from his line, from the tribe of Judah. David didn't have to do anything. And we could get off on a tangent there because we've seen David's life and we've read about David's life. And it's just a huge huge picture of grace. It's not what he did, although we don't condone it, and God doesn't condone it, but it's, but it's that God himself is true to his word. He made a promise to David. He said, David, the Messiah will come. It will come from your line. So that's the foretelling. And the... And the, and the the promise of the Messiah, as I said, the prophetic proclamation of the prophets during this time period. So here is where we get, during this time period, here is where a majority of the prophetic um, uh, truths, the prophetic, well, we call them truths now, but the, the prophecies came that spoke of the Messiah. You know, Isaiah talks about it, Jeremiah talks about it, Micah talks about it. We can go through all of these Old Testament prophets and talk about their foretelling. Um, and it's during this period, this, this period of uh, genealogy, these 14 generations, and then that intertestamental testamental period of, of quietness. We can trust God, and I know I want you to know that you can trust God because He kept His promise to the man David. And then finally, the coming proclaimed. And that's what we celebrate Christmas. Looking forward to the coming. The coming of the Messiah. The coming of the Christ. The coming of the Anointed One. Interestingly enough, this period of the genealogy covers from captivity to the birth of Christ or to Mary. And 
without going deep into all that other stuff. It's interesting that it's quite possible that Mary was alive when Matthew wrote this gospel. It's quite possible that Jesus' earthly mother was still alive when he wrote and penned these words. I'm glad it was Matthew and it wasn't me. Because I just said, Mary, did he ever act up? Mary, did you ever have to give him a spanking? Mary, did he ever mess his diaper? Mary, did he ever throw his food? You know, and, and that stuff doesn't really have anything to do with this. Matthew went right straight to the point. Mary, your son, and you are of this line, this lineage, this kingly lineage. And I believe, as you believe, probably he said to her, and again, I'm just guessing, because I know how I am, and I'd probably ask some really dumb questions. But he, as he puts this together, under the spiritual guidance of the Holy Spirit and, and of God and, 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 and all of that, he puts to pen this story. We see the genealogy, and as we read through the Gospels, it leads us to the birth of a Savior. Okay. There's a relatively new currency that exists only online. And I've been trying to figure out how I could get my hands on some of this, because they make it sound like it's really good and really expensive and really nice. It's called crypto currency. One of the types of cryptocurrency is called Bitcoin. Okay? Bitcoin is one example and it has been a challenge for governments and regulators and traders because it's something that doesn't really physically exist like dollar bills and yens and and all other kind of currencies uh, that we are familiar with. It was invented to make secure transis, trans, um, <clears throat> transactions online. A way of being able to buy things. And there are actually some legitimate companies who use it. Very interesting. I'm not going to sit up here and tell you I know a lot about it, but it's interesting that you can mine this stuff, they call it, and... and uh, you know, you can make yourself lots of cryptocurrency money. I'm not sure they're going to take you to King Supers or Safeway. But, you know, there's that, that idea. And, and, and so governments aren't really excited about it because there's no way to tax it if you don't know what it is. There's no way of taxing it if you don't know, you know, how to you know, the value, the worth of it. Unless someone cashes it for real money. Interestingly enough, the government does not accept Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. The government won't take it. They won't take it because they can't tax it. Unless somebody, as I said, trades it in for real money. If it doesn't exist as something 
backed by real money, does it really exist? People are buying stuff with it. And I guess what I'm trying to say with that illustration is that there are those who are going to question, and it's probably none of us here, but there are those out there who will question the validity of the birth of Christ. The idea that there's this genealogy that goes, ancient genealogy that goes, can be connected to Him, our Lord, and Abraham. They will question all of that. My question to you is, if you can't see it, or touch it, or feel it, is it real? Think about it a little bit. I want you to know that you can trust God because He kept His promise. He kept His promise to Abraham. He kept His promise to David. He kept His promise to us as those who have come after. He kept His promise to Mary. Even secular historians believe that Jesus of Nazareth was a real person. And at Christmas we celebrate the birthday of that real person. Celebrating the birth of Jesus is a good thing. It really is. But did Jesus ever once say, celebrate my birth? No, He didn't. We proclaim the Lord's death until He returns. So what does the substance of Jesus mean for us? We've talked about Him being a real person. We talked about him being from that line, that lineage. But what does all of that really mean for us today? Yes, Jesus' birth is a historical fact and it's real. But also, Jesus' death on the cross is real. His resurrection is real. His physical Return to earth someday is going to be real. The question for you today is not do we believe in the birth of Christ? Because pretty much everybody believes in that. It's history. Instead, do we believe in his real death, his real resurrection, and his coming again? Those are the questions that we need to answer. And the answer to that is our salvation. So I want to finish with a song. I've already kind of led us to that. It's one we know. I don't know if we would be able to get the words real fast or not, but it's not that one. So don't worry about it. It's joy to the world in your hymnal, 16073. Yeehaw, somebody has to remind me. 173, let's sing that together. We'll just do the first two verses. Joy. 
standing. Lord, we thank You for this day. We thank You for this season. We thank You for this reminder. We're thankful that, that Matthew put this in front of us and, and this idea that You are of a royal lineage. And we look forward and as we, we look ahead, uh, not only uh, to celebrating Your birth, but we look ahead to Your return. We're thankful, Father, that You loved us enough that You kept your promise to us, to Abraham, to David, to Mary, to us. We just ask as we go through this day and this week that we would be reminded of the birth and what that means, of what is involved with all of that, and we celebrate that wholeheartedly. We thank you for each and every person that's here. I thank you for the opportunity to be able to to share and for your word. Be with each person that's here. Go with them as they go their separate ways. Watch over them and protect them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.